All right. Correct me if I'm wrong, but I do believe we left off with starting off on the Gospel of Mark. Okay, good. You know, it's been a long time since Tuesday, so. <laughs> um, so we're talking about the Gospels in the sense that we are using this word, not just good news, it's the Gospel being the proclamation of God, Jesus as King, the good news of Jesus Christ, His death, burial, and resurrection. And so today we're talking about the Gospel of Mark. The Gospel of Mark, so is your second one in our Bibles, it's probably the first of the Gospels to be written. It is the shortest of the Gospels, which is one of the reasons we believe it was the first, one of the first to be written, because it didn't have source material like the Gospel of Mark to go off of. But um, this, uh, the Gospel of Mark um, focuses on the suffering Christ. Um, God's Son comes to break up Satan's rule. The only name ever attached to this gospel is Mark. Unbroken testimony. Traveling from Papias to Irenaeus all the way down to Eusebius who wrote it down. Um, there is an Papias over here on the, the uh, left-hand side, Irenaeus. Uh, the Maturonian con. Uh, Canon, Clement of Alexandria, Tertullian, Origen, Jerome, Eusebius, they all put Mark as the author of this book. Now, the scroll itself, however, is like the other three, are, it's, it's anonymous. It does not have Gospel of Mark plastered on the top of it. We did that. <laughs> um, so uh, the writing itself does not have a name attached to it. But um, Mark is the only one ever been related to this gospel, the author of this gospel. The big question comes down to who is Mark. Now, that's actually a bigger question. Marcus is actually a common Roman name. So a lot of people will argue for different Marks. But the traditional one is John Mark, the one who works closely with Peter, called Peter's, uh, he, who's called Peter's son, uh, cousin of Barnabas, and travels with Paul and Barnabas in the book of Acts. That's the traditional person who wrote the book of Mark. Um, and actually, there's a great deal of evidence... Um, and you can see this chart right here uh, if you want to see it more closely from cold case Christianity. Um, there's a great deal of evidence that the book of Mark may very well have been um, Peter's story. A lot of people believe that Peter is the one telling the, of the book of Mark and Mark is the scribe. That writes down the story of the Gospel of Mark. So it very well may be Peter's gospel. gospel. Um, some of the evidence for that is Peter is described with familiarity. Um, Peter is the bookmarks, the bookends on, in the Gospel. It starts and ends with, the, uh, with Peter. He's frequently mentioned and always in a good way, except for... Um, some of his most embarrassing moments have been omitted that the other Gospels include. Um, um, 
So, uh, and, and there is a Peter, uh, Peter outline that is followed in the book of, of Mark. So it's, it does, it does, there's quite a bit of evidence and a lot of people, including myself, would say that Peter's the one who was the one speaking this, this gospel and Mark was the scribe. Now that does not mean that Mark didn't write it because anytime someone scribes, it's not like they wrote, they said they might have wrote verbal word for word or they might have put in a lot of his own knowledge and stuff in there as well. Um, uh, dating. Before we get to the outline, dating. Um, the Gospel of Mark was probably written around eighty forty to eighty seventy. It's definitely before the fall of the destruction of the temple. Um, but it's probably one of the earlier ones, so closer to 40. Its major concern was recording the description of who Jesus was and the impact he had on those who had contact with him, the Son of God. Um, as we look at the outline of Mark... You'll see um, the prologue is um, focuses on gospel, uh, the Son of God. Um, the, the, actually, the the gospel of Jesus, Son of God, is in the the beginning of the gospel. Uh, in this this section, you're going to find uh, John the Baptist preaching in the wilderness. You're going to find Jesus' baptism. You're going to find Jesus' temptation in the wilderness. You're going to find the beginning of Jesus' proclamation. You're not going to find any of the um, birth narrative. Um, you're not going to find a lot of the, the, the you know Mary story at the beginning. You're not even going to find a geo genealogy. Um, that was not something that the author was interested in, and I guess... Be uh, part of that is they are not trying to, like Luke does it, to throw to lay down a historical background for Jesus. Matthew does it because it's important for the Jewish focus of the book of Matthew. Mark, uh, the, the focus is on Jesus and his impact on the world. His birth is not the focus of the story, so it's not in there. Um, second part is Jesus in the wilderness and the city with the good news. Um, we're going to see his ministry in Galilee, his uh, withdrawal to the wilderness beyond Galilee, his Gentile mission, um, his questions concerning signs and seeing. So it's... In, in the way that, and, and I chose this outline. This is a, a choice I made. I didn't come up with the wording of this, but I like the way it words it because it's, it's the very immediate Mark. Mark is very immediate. He, I like the way he words it. Jesus invades the wilderness and the city. He brings in with, with the marching on it and comes in, and then he invades the hostile city of Jerusalem, and it's... Um, his journey to Jerusalem, and Jesus confronts uh, Jerusalem and his, his opposition. Um, and, of course, the end is really kind of an unfinished epilogue. There's, there's really no end in that. Um, yes. You can also divide it into... Two controversy cycles. Take out the, uh, the, the introductory material and the end. You could divide Mark into two controversy cycles where he's in Galilean and he's in Jerusalem. Uh, so his primary places of, of work. Um, these cycles both consist, as you're looking at the, out, the kind of structure of the book of Mark, both of these cycles consist of five stories each. In each cycle, Jesus is the clear winner. And um, 
you know, in Galilee, where Jesus has the home court advantage, in Jerusalem, where he's, Jesus is, is, is the away, away team, um, he's the clear winner. And, um, and, um, and so we see the, these controversy cycles where, where he will um, do battle, I guess would be a good way to put it, <laughs> um, with the... Um, the religious, but also the the um, the authorities and 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 and, and the power of Satan. I mean, he heals the paralytic in in two one. He um, eats with tax collectors and sinners, and you know that always gets him in trouble. Um, he fasts. He he harvests grain on the Sabbath day. You know, anything, if you do anything on the Sabbath, that's going to get you in trouble. Um, he heals a man with a withered hand. Uh, he questions authority in Jerusalem controversy, you know. That's where we get the, the uh, vineyard and the tenants parable in chapter 12. Um, paying taxes to seers, questions about the resurrection, questions of David's son. Um, These controversy cycles is another great way of organizing the book of Mark. That's my next slide. Ah, I'm sorry. Am I going too fast? Probably going too fast. Some of you are writing these things down. I see it. <laughs> That's okay. I, uh... I remember teaching. I got told I got too excited, too fast, too much. <laughs> um, but college students are a lot easier at this point because they just take pictures of everything. <laughs> I don't know if they ever go back and look at it. I take pictures. <laughs> Some of them I really wondered. Um, <laughs> did you lose your phone? I saw you take a picture of it. <laughs> yeah. They do. They each have five... Um, No, um, they 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 have five stories in them. Now there's six points on there, but five stories. Christology, uh, as we're talking about each of the gospels, they each kind of focus on a different. Um, way of looking at um, Christ. You know, their focus is different. Well, the book of Mark, uh, he does focus on the supernatural nature of Jesus. Um, Jesus in chapter 1, verse 24, he is known by demons. Uh, he heals the paralytic in 2.5. He reads the thoughts of his critics in 2.8 through 10. He silences the evil spirits in 3.11. He calms the storm in 5.7. He touches and heals the woman in 5.26 and 27. He raises Jairus' daughter from the dead in 5.40. Um, he multiplies the loaves and the fishes in 6.39. He walks on the water at night um, in 6. 5047. Uh, he focuses, he, there's a lot in the book of Mark about, and that's just an example, of the supernatural nature of Jesus in the book of Mark. Uh, he brings out a lot of the, 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 divi the divine, supernatural teaching of Mark in there. 
Um, and along with that is the recognition of the divine nature of Jesus. A lot of times when... Um, When people point to, like, Jesus as God, they turn to the book of John, because that's, you know, John 1, you know. The Word was God, the Word is God, and the Word became flesh. Um, but in all of the Gospels, Jesus is seen as God. It's not something that they just John came up with. Um, it's in all of them. Um, and... Um, and the divinity of Jesus is recognized by John the Baptist in in the book of Mark, by demons, by the disease, the winds, the waves, the disciples, by even the God, the Father himself. It's, you know, these things are, uh, there is a, a focus that uh, Jesus is divine as well as fully human in the book of Mark. Um, he is the son of man. Uh, now, the appearance of Son of Man signifies the beginning of the end of times. Um, Son of Man is one of those interesting terms that we could uh, have an entire class day on. I'm not prepared to do so at this moment. Um, but um, in Ezekiel 2, 1, 36, 1, and 37, Son of Man is used to mean mortal human being. In Daniel 7, Son of Man is a heavenly figure who receives divine, uh, divine power. Um, in Enoch 37 through 71 and uh, Jude 14 and 15, Son of Man is a supernatural bring who judges the world. Um, I bring up First Enoch because Jude quotes from First Enoch. Um, in Mark, Son of Man is um, a supernatural being who must judge the world, will judge the world. Um, he's both human and divine. So he's been given the power to forgive sins and to heal. Um, he's the one who must suffer as mortal. So we, in, the, in the book of Mark, we have this great juxtaposition of, of, of God as divine and God as human, Jesus as divine and Jesus as human going on inside the book, uh, which gives us that wonderful um, argument, is God, Jesus human or God uh, is Jesus uh, God? Is he both? And of course, we, uh, we, we attest that he is both fully human and fully God. Um, but many people out there even today still argue Jesus was God who didn't become flesh. That's more Gnosticism. And some say he was human who was given divine authority, but not actually having God. Yeah, he is the Son of God. Um, absolutely, and that's um, you know, and it's one of those things that we that we do struggle with, um, you know, that goes along with, and, and a lot of people that don't like the idea of Jesus being fully God, it, don't like the idea that God became flesh because then they think they have two gods and not just one God. And they struggle with the triune nature of God, which is something that we have to wrestle with, you know. And actually, the number one reason why a lot of uh, Islamic people reject Christianity is because they look, see Jesus as son of God. And they say, well, then you got worship two gods, not just one. Um, and it's because they don't understand what Trinity is, uh, the triune nature of God. And, um, of course... Most Christians, don't, uh, in my experience, don't wrestle with it enough. Um, we use the word, but we don't wrestle with what it really means. 
and um, right the eternal God being able to die that's a wonderful uh, paradox that doesn't seem like it should work right <laughs> um, and so it does does cause problems for a lot of people um, and that's um, you know, one of the reasons we fall back on the traditions of, of the church history historians before us, they've got, done a lot of the thinking. Um, we, you know, there's no way we can, we, you know, we shouldn't have to ask these questions all over again. We turn to them because they've th- thought these things through as well. Um, and, and, um, and so we have things like the Nicene Creed and the Apostles' Creed and stuff like that that can help us. I'm not saying those are the Bible, but they can help us kind of, well, some people have already thought this through. And we can wrestle with that ourselves. But of course, I think we all need to wrestle with these big questions, too. Um. Uh, you're right. There are some things that we just can't understand. Um, you know, I can't fathom being timeless. I mean, everything in my experience has time. And God is not just eternal, he is outside of time. And I can't, and he enters into time when he deals with us, but he's outside of time. I can't even fathom what that would be like. David, I saw your hand go up. Yep, Genesis 126, let us. There's very triune talk there. There's a community going on there. Um, Yep, Psalms 110. Um, You know, nothing in the New Testament is taken just, oh, let's just randomly throw things in. It's taken from the Old Testament. Maybe in ways that they hadn't seen it before taken, but it was taken from the Old Testament. Jesus came to fulfill the scriptures. God. Absolutely, the ever-expanding universe. Very hard concept to, to expand to to because it is expanding. Um. Does it end? Uh, you know, uh, there's different theories on that one. Actually, I, w- I was reading one guy who said that the, it, it's expanding um, till it eventually falls apart. Um, one guy said that God's still in the process of creating the universe um, as it expands. I, you know, these are questions that are a little bit beyond me, <laughs> but uh, um, this, is, this is a tough. This is a tough one. Um, you know, I, you know, I, we wrestle with these questions. I think it's good that we wrestle with them. Um, you know, it's shown that people, especially younger people, that wrestle with these big questions, have less problems when they grow up um, because they they've learned how to think deep. Um, and and if we don't, you know, and, and how do we teach our young people to think big questions? Is we model thinking the big questions. It should be okay for us to wrestle with things. Well, that's wonderful. <laughs> I have heard of him. Some of those are tough. You know, and those, those kind of questions are, are great. And there are some things that it's okay. We have to come to the realization. I think we need to model this. It's okay for us to say, I don't know the answer. Let me wrestle with this and think about this. And when we tell people, well, that's just the way it is, 
or just, just because I said so, we're really hurting. And so, uh, studies have started to show that people, that fam- uh, children that grew up with just because that's the way it is, or I, because I say so, or because that's, you know, or even that's what the Bible says. Because there are different ways of looking at the Bible, you know, like, well, what does it really say that? Or what, what, is, how, what does that mean? You know, those big questions actually hurt people later on in life because they don't know how to think the big questions. They don't know how to wrestle with when things get tough or when they're at a crossroads in their lives. And, and, more, uh, and um, there's been some studies that show that, uh, and I wish I had the studies right now. I could show you them. But um, some studies have suggested, and there's no proof to this, but they've suggested that if you think bigger questions, you're, more likely, you're less likely to have things like suicidal problems. Um, and uh, drug addictions and stuff like that because you've wrestled with these big issues that have, um, when you're younger, in a more safe environment, I guess. And, of course, that goes back to we need more safe environments for kids. Um, you know, this, the, the evidence is clear. If you want to, you know, solve half our money problems in the United States, let's put fathers back in the houses. Um, but... Um, I mean, the evidence is overwhelming. Uh, you know, safe environments where, where they can learn to ask these questions in, in a controlled environment where they can get help and they can... Um, it's, it's so so important for, for our, young, our young people. Even in us, though. I mean, it's important for us to be able to feel safe saying, I don't know, I need to ask the big question. Um, I was talking to a, a gentleman not too long ago, and I asked him about theology in his life and he said you know I've never questioned any of my theology I've ever been taught um, I had he said I had good teachers so it's, it's all right and um, and of course it wasn't a couple days later that we were at, I was asking him some questions. I said, well I don't know if that's actually right <laughs> um, you know um, yeah we're, we're supposed to you know, search the scripture, and that means sometimes you might come across something that your theology is developing. If we're meditating on the scriptures day and night, we're going to develop. We're going to come and say, well, I understand this in a new way because we're different than the first time we read it. It should be different every time we read it because you're different. I mean, you're in a different place in your life. Can you imagine if you learned everything you thought you needed to know as a child, like VBS, that was all you ever thought you ever needed to know? I mean, yeah, you may know the basic, you know, Jesus loves you. But how much are you missing out? By not meditating, I mean, I am not the same person I was when I was eight. (laughs) I have learned a lot since then. (laughs) Um Absolutely. If we allow him, the Holy Spirit is continually working in us and teaching us and growing us. And it's, it's when we're, we don't love him that we, we stagnate. Um, David. Absolutely. Um, yeah, examine it. You're noble-minded if you examine these things. See if they're true. Work with these things. It's so important. Um, and we've gone totally on a, off on the rap trail. Let me bring us back on. Um, that was supernatural, role of Jesus, recognition of demon. We've already talked about these things. Uh, ah, that's where we are. Secrecy motif in gospel. You ever want, thought about that? Uh, sometimes in, especially the, uh, the Gospel of Mark, Jesus commands those who have told him uh, that, you know, he's, he's, he heals them or he does something and that he's like, shh, don't tell nobody. <laughs> you ever thought about that? I mean, <laughs> um, he, he does that quite a bit. He, um, he, 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 Seems like in the Gospel of Mark, especially, it's like he's trying to keep his work a secret. Um, he commands the demons, you know. Um, 
And I think, of course, that one makes sense to me. He doesn't want the demons spouting off the truth of who he was because he doesn't want to be associated with the demons. <laughs> I mean, that makes sense to me. Yeah, that's a bigger question. But, um, yeah, I mean, so he does, he commands uh, following miracles, be quiet, release, uh, commands uh, un- after following Peter's confession. Uh, he desires to remain unknown. Um, he commands others. You ever ask yourself why? Um I think that's some of it, but the other Gospels don't do that as much. Even the same stories. Um, Mark really kind of seems to focus on this kind of, shh, don't tell nobody. (laughs) I don't, yeah, I don't know. Um, What I did notice was um, that, yes, his time... Jesus most often tells people to be quiet when um, they might know the popular ideas of messiahship with their political overtones. Like when someone might be, uh, you know, like they they might think, well, here's the guy who's going to come and and overrule things. And he says, my time's not yet because it's not time for him to act he's not acting as a political king yet and he doesn't want that kind of following um, if you look at when he tells people to be silent um, it was in areas of the geographical areas where they would have known what um, their perceived messiah is looking for outside of this perceived area he's not as you know he doesn't tell them to be quiet as much it's when they're inside this perceived like political area, a geographical area. Um, so that's really kind of a, an idea I've been, and I haven't really fully looked into this one. This is something that's been kind of new that I've been wrestling with um, as I've been studying the geography and the political landscape of the geography and looking into the land that Jesus walked. Um, it's been something fairly recent for me. I guess I started a year, year and a half ago in this journey on that. And uh, and so one of the things that I, just, I was noticing was when he says be quiet, it's in areas where they would have been expecting the political messiah. Um. Mark 5. Yeah. Go home to your people. Leave this area where they would have been expecting you to be for a Messiah. Right? Yeah. So, yeah. Um. And, and this is, you know, like I said, it's, it's, it seems to be, and like I said, I'm, I'm developing this idea in my own theology. It seems to be in, in geographical areas where the, the, the political Messiah would have been expected that he's like, don't tell him about no. I don't need that kind of politicity. I'm not doing this to be a politician. But outside of that area, he's like, go tell people. <laughs> He was disgusted. Jesus was disgusted with the, the. Yeah, the Pharisees often. Well, that's one of the things they were looking for. Um, so you know that's one of the things. Um, all right. So that's that's the Gospel of Mark. Like I said, remember we're going to go through the Gospels each individually, and then we're going to talk about the life of Jesus. 
after after so um gospel of luke i do not know if we'll finish the gospel of luke today but we're going to go ahead and start because we have plenty of time um gospel of luke um universal christ um remember luke is writing uh the author is um is writing as part of a two set, you know, like Acts and Luke are written as like two volumes to probably a Gentile um, Theophilus, uh, a believer. Um, and he's trying, it says at the beginning, he's trying to lay down a chronological ordering. Um, so there is a great deal of emphasis between the two books on the universal Christ, that Christ is for everybody. And we can see, um, if you want to, like, as we study Acts, one of the best things you can do right before you read Acts is read Luke, because it's one story that flows together. Don't, I mean, yeah, you can read Mark and then go into Acts, but you, you're missing out on some of the language and some of the backstory that that Luke is, because he's laying it down, it's all one kind of continuous story. Um, so that's, uh, this, we have to remember that when we read Acts, that Luke is the one who wrote it, and they use the, he uses the same language and the same basis, and expects you to know the stories from the book of Luke as he goes into, um, uh, into Acts. Um, So, uh, so G- Jesus will in this book um, relate to the uh, more diverse sorts, you know, the outsiders, the outcasts, the um, insiders. Um, he will go into some of the same places, you know, that Matthew does. Um, the, there's the Jewish gospel. Uh, in the temple, in the Jerusalem, in the high places, but being universal, he's going to go m- much more broad uh, than Matthew will, because Matthew was focused on the Jewish people. He wasn't focused on the universal nature of it. Uh, so, and that says that 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 being said, the book of Luke is the most Gentile gospel. It's also the longest of the gospels. Um, all early evidence points to uh, Luke being the author of this, though I already have said that it doesn't, like our Bible's clearly say Luke, you know. The scrolls themselves don't say who wrote them. But all early evidence points to Luke, traveling companion of the Apostle Paul, as the one who wrote this. Um, it's argued by some that he's a Gentile, and some say he was a Jew. I don't, you know, there's good arguments on both sides of that story, whether he was a Gentile or a Jew. But he was probably, he was well-educated, physician, um, and armchair historian, apparently. There are two major dating periods for the book. Uh, uh, well, before I go to that, Authorship. This I forgot to put this slide in here. Uh, early evidence uh, all point to Luke, uh, Irenaeus, Clement of Alexandria, Tertullian, Origen, Eusebius, Jerome, and Marcion all list uh, this one Luke, the, that Luke, the traveling companion um, of Paul, so Paul as the author. So I see no reason why we should. You know, that's, that's more than ample evidence. Um, you know, one thing that irritates me about bi- biblical scholarship is we have all this evidence. All these people say, you know, that, oh, it was, you know, it was Luke, you know. Any other secular work, we actually have more evidence that these authors wrote the Gospels than we have, like, Homer wrote the Iliad. <laughs> um and no one questions that. <laughs> um, 
but that's, you know, because it's the Bible, everyone questions it. Um, Luke the man, uh, well-educated physician, possibly a Gentile. I tend to lead towards Gentile, so I put it up there, but there's a good argument that he may have been a Jew. Um, close friend of Paul, traveling companion of Paul, author of Acts and Luke. All right. Um, so he wants Theophilus to know the fa- know that faith in Jesus rests on historical facts and stands up under the most severe scrutiny founded as they are. And he will use uh, research. Luke is not just, uh, he's not like um, Mark who possibly wrote off of Peter. Uh, he's not like Matthew who was there. Luke is, is, is one who is a, a, more of a historian. He gathers information. He checks his ev- evidence, um, verifying sources of eyewitnesses. Um, um, he, he, um, it, you'll even accredit different people in the book of Luke for, for words. Um, some even wonder if he, now I don't know if I buy this or not, but a lot of people wonder if he even talked to Mary, the mother of Jesus, to get some of the stories. Um, I go back and forth with that one. It sounds fun. It sounds good. But if he talked to Mary, mother of Jesus, you would think there might be a couple more things, more than just his bar mitzvah and his birth in there. Um, you know, more like, you know, when he was six. <laughs> um, and so I kind of wonder about that one. But it sounds good. Um, his genealogy does seem to follow more of Mary's side of the, the genealogy. Um, Structure of Luke. Outlines. You know, I always like them outlines. All right. Um, prologue. A reliable account of salvation history. Uh, prologue, uh, chapter 1, 1 through 4. Preparations for Jesus' ministry. This is one of those areas that we see a lot of things that aren't in the other Gospels. And that's one of the reasons why people do say, well, maybe talk to Mary. Um, because there is a lot more about the preparation for both child. Remember, there's, there's the two children being born in this one. Um, the two births predicted. The two sons are born. Um, Jesus, uh, John the Baptist preparation. Um, we don't have, uh, Matthew touches on this, but not nearly as much as, uh, as Luke does. Luke has a lot more on this information. Um, Preparation for Jesus' ministry um, would be John the Baptist and stories surrounding him. Jesus' proclamation of salvation in the Gentiles by the power of the Spirit. Luke has a lot. I mean, often when we think of the Spirit talk, we think of John because he's like, you know, because he's got that lofty language. But Luke focuses a lot on the Holy Spirit. And we see this. All the way through the book of Acts. I mean, that's he, the Holy Spirit's the primary worker in the book of Acts, right? Um, Luke spoke a lot on the power of the Spirit. Uh, as Jesus proclaimed salvation in Galilee, it's, um, he, you know, we'll see his proclamation of good news in Galilee, his conflict with the Pharisees, uh, good news for the poor, um, revelation of Jesus' identity. Um, 
Then he, he turns to his Gentile mission. Uh, his, to, I'm sorry, to a Galilean mission, uh, to Jerusalem. Uh, he traveled from Galilee to Jerusalem. I'm sorry, that's uh, from discipleship uh, in 9 through 19 where he will, chapters 9 through 19 where he'll travel to Jerusalem where he will eventually arrive at and die in, in 1920, be resurrected. Um, Yes, I do. I believe that Luke wrote, they're, they're two-point volume, volume one and volume two. If you're going to read Acts, go straight, uh, start with Luke. Twenty times in, in, in the... Thank you. 20 times in the Gospel of Luke and 60 times in the Gospel of Acts. Uh, the book of Acts. It's, it's, like I said, when we often think of the Spirit, a lot of times our minds jump to John because it's got that lofty speech and talks about right off the bat, you know. But Luke really focuses a lot on the Spirit and what the Spirit is doing through Jesus and then on through the the, the apostles, the Acts of the Apostles, um, Acts of the Holy Spirit through the Apostles. Um, special material in Luke. Um, only 50% of Mark is in Luke. Um, there are some things that are just found in Luke. Um, the preface... Only in Luke, uh, the two births in Luke, Jesus' childhood—that's Luke. Um, some of the best-known parables are only found in Luke, like the Good Samaritan, the Prodigal Son, Rich Man Lazarus, um, the Pharisee and the uh, Publican, Zacchaeus. Those are all Luke stories. That. Um, we don't find in the other Gospels. Yeah. Right. Yeah, yeah, Luke is more focused. Well, that, that makes sense, though, because he's more interested in the historical side, where Matthew was more focused on the, 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 the Jewish side. And so he needed the priestly side. And where Luke, he was more interested in that, that historical bloodline, um, which, which makes sense, because they got the different focuses. Christology, um, Luke's study of Christ, that's what Christology, of the Messiah, um, focused on the um, Christology, the universal Christ, that's, that's the best way to look at the, uh, his, his work on, Luke's work on um, of Christ, um, outsiders, when you read the book of Luke, you'll, also, you'll often see outsiders uh, being the Gentile missions. Um, but like the angels, he, he, you know, they come to all people. Um, when he talks to Simeon, he says Jesus is uh, uh, as a light to all of the Gentiles. Um, genealogy, and this is going back to that genealogy, it doesn't just stop with Seven generations is all you actually needed for a Jewish person. Um, he goes all the way back to Adam, which was, so all people are from. Uh, you know, he's here to save everybody. Um, uh, 
Jesus actually, in the book of Luke, Jesus praises two Gentiles from the Old Testament in, in 4, uh, 2 through 5. Uh, 25, I'm sorry, 25 and 27. He's, he's, he's the universal Christ. He, he goes to the, the Samaritans in the Samaritan village. There's the story of the good Samaritan, the Samaritan leopard. Um, he's with the poor. Um, when his sermon on the plain, which is different from the sermon on the mountain, uh, the sermon on the plain, you know, he talks about, uh, you know, there's, there's, you know, he also talks about the rich fool and Lazarus. Um, women. Uh, he's, as he speaks, we talk about the universal Christ. He doesn't just focus on men, which like Matthew kind of focuses on the men, which makes sense. They're following the Jewish. Um, Luke is, you know, his treatment of, of women is, uh, Jesus, his treatment of women is exceptional in the book of Luke. Um, he accorded them dignity and respect that was would have been unknown by ma- in many areas of the Palestine region at this time. Um, he lists at, in the book of in the book of Luke and in Acts. You know, the women are the subsidizers of Jesus' ministry. They're the ones they're meeting at the women's home. They're 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 the ones paying for a lot of things. There's the story of Mary and Martha is in the book of Luke. Um, the sinful woman, you know, cat, you know, who's sinless, cast the stone. That's in the book of Luke. Um, we see him with tax collectors. Um, you know, he has the story. Uh, you know, you know, give taxes to Caesar. Give Caesar what Caesar's. God was God. Um, Zacchaeus is in there. Uh, Levi. Um, we see with children even in the book of Luke as universal Christ. How cool! I mean, he's he's not with children in the other ones. He's with children in the book of Luke. Um, Luke only refers to uh, he's the only one who refers to the childhood of John the Baptist and Jesus. Um, In Luke's where we find um, the thief at the cross next to Jesus. I mean, how much more universal can you get, right? <laughs> um, you know, this is, this is such... Um... Now, in, in the book of Luke, he he's, shows a lot of love for the... the, um, the um, the insiders, but he, I mean, the outsiders, but the insiders, he has some pretty harsh words for, like the Pharisees. Um, calls them lovers of money. Um, though he will dine with the Pharisees in the book of Luke because he's the universal Christ. Um, the Pharisees are the ones who warned Jesus, Herod's about to kill you. Um, Pharisee named Saul, um, also known as Paulos, uh, Saul, uh, who becomes Paul, is a Pharisee in the Paul, uh, the Acts because he's the universal Christ. So even the people, the Pharisees, Christ's there for them too. Because Theophilus already knew the certainty that you've been taught. So he's, he's like, I need to lay out a chronological order, or orderly thing. Um, so he's trying, to do, he's trying to do a chronological order. Luke is, is exceptional because he's trying to at least lay out a chronological order of things, which means the other Gospels weren't so concerned with it. <laughs> I mean, we look at John, and he doesn't seem to care at all about the chronological things. <laughs> um, you know, it's just, you know, um, I mean, were there two stories of him whipping, running people out of the, the temple? Because in John, it's like really early. 
um, in the other Gospels, it's pretty late. So did it happen twice, or uh, did John just not care about the chronological order of things? Um, yeah, it's, it's, yeah, it, it really is. And so, but we, we, we you know, um, but, you know, Luke is, his focus is on the historical thing, the, the, the certainty. Um, well, okay, emphasis on the Holy Spirit. Well, I guess we'll get through, yeah, I'll probably just move to John after this. Um, emphasis on the Holy Spirit in Luke. Um, there we go, there's a lot of words. Um, Like I said, Jesus, Luke loves the Holy Spirit, puts a lot of emphasis on the Holy Spirit. I mean, the conception by the Holy Spirit. Um, Jesus uh, receives the Holy Spirit as baptism. Holy Spirit is with Jesus as temptation, the fulfillment of the scriptures. Jesus lives his life full of joy through the Holy Spirit. Heavenly Father, known knows how to give the Holy Spirit to those who ask Him. Dire consequences of those who blaspheme the Holy Spirit. That's found in Luke too. Uh, at His death, Jesus commits His, his Spirit to God. Um, that's found in Luke. It's, it's, um, I'm always amazed at how much Luke sees the Holy Spirit at work. More so than like Matthew. And some of that may be because he is writing from the position that he's been primarily focused on the history. The history so he's seeing all the stuff that's happening as he collects stories from everywhere and, and talks to people. He's like, you know, he, I wonder if he was amazed at how much the Holy Spirit was doing as he was collecting these stories and telling what happened and, and writing these things down. And... No, Luke was not one of the 12 apostles. Yeah. Um, yeah, he was, yeah. And so I wonder, that's why I said, I wonder if he, if he was amazed at these things as he was gathering up all the different information. Because, uh, yeah, he was not one of the 12. A lot of times we want to say all the Gospels were written by 12 apostles, but they weren't. Um, Luke was not. So Mark might have been written by Peter. <laughs> uh, well, Mark is probably a scribe. But... Uh, yeah, Mark is educated... And Mark does scribe for him in the book of of um, of, of Acts, right? So yeah, it makes more sense. Um, you know, Mark will travel with Paul and maybe even write some of the Paul's letters. You know, uh, scribal work. Um, Peter's yeah. Actually, there's some question whether Peter even knew how to do much writing at all. <laughs> um. Oh, yeah, I imagine so. Um, of course, Paul didn't seem to be able to write very well either. Like, he was beautiful in the way he tells stories. But at one point in one of Paul's letters, he says, see, I write this in my own hand. And the writing is, like, really big, so he might have actually been going blind at that point. And <laughs> um, and it, it's a, I mean, if you look at the scroll, it's really different. <laughs> um but at least what we have evidence of. Um, all right, we'll talk about John next week. We're not going to get to John today since it's already five over. Uh, anything else we want to say? I know, I threw some information at you, didn't I? <laughs> um. 
We'll talk about the Gospel of John, and then we'll get into the life of Jesus. Um, so, all right. Let's go ahead and pray and, and, and be uh, dismissed. Father God, I praise you today, Lord. I thank you for this your words. I pray that uh, as we, we, we see all this stuff and we think about all these things, we wrestle with all this information, Lord, that we just... Um, we put it in, into context in your word and we are able to just focus on you and, and uh, use this as a, a stepping stone to, to have a good solid f- foundation as we, as we study your word and we go deeper and we go more in love with you and, and the words that you have laid out for us. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.